Hello, Joel here. I've got a new book out. It's called Be Funny or Die. How comedy works and why it matters. And it's about how comedy works and why it matters. Why human beings tell jokes and then what that tells us about being human beings. So if you're a human being and you enjoy laughing and then want to know what the hell's going on with that, it's probably a pretty good book to read. It's called Be Funny or Die. It's in shops. You can buy it. Jewelry isn't a gift you give just once. It's a way to remind your loved one of a beautiful moment every time they see it. Blue Nile can help you find the gift that says how you feel and says it beautifully with expert guidance and a wide assortment of jewelry of the highest quality at the best price. Go to BlueNile.com and experience the convenience of shopping Blue Nile, the original online jeweler since 1999. That's BlueNile.com to find the perfect jewelry gift for any occasion. BlueNile.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Welcome to Rule of Three, a podcast about comedy. I'm Jason Hazley. And I'm Joel Morris. And as usual, we're joined by someone who makes comedy to talk about something funny that they love. By taking it apart, maybe we'll learn something about how comedy works. Or we'll just quote bits from it and giggle until we're finished. Both approaches are valid. Our special guest today is the mighty Robert Popper. Hello, Robert. Hello. That's your real voice, isn't it? It's nice yes, to hear you. Use... I'm going to speak like this today. Imagine I spoke like this the whole time. <laughs> very nice to be here. It is very nice for you to be here. That's Thank right. you very much. You are, of course, prone to um, putting on silly voices. Yeah, and, I know. Uh, it's childish, isn't making it? Making calls and things, aren't you? Yes, I am. But, I, yeah, I mean, it's my, it's my hobby, really, sort of making silly prank calls. You it's know, nice, as Mainly though. as Robin Cooper. It is a hobby I do and I love. And no, I think the best one I ever did was was with a group of people we uh, I used to love phoning the um, religious channels on Sky they've got these crazy mm. religious channels and there was one I was sort of addicted to and um, this was years ago I was like I think I was uh, working with Peter Serafinovich at the time and we just got a bunch of people I think it was Matt Lucas I think David Walliams like name dropping but just really great funny people yeah. we said look at 12 o'clock every day this, this program comes <laughs> on and it's just a really heavy Christian program and it's a phone-in, and you can talk about anything. And you just phone, and you're just on air. They don't even filter you. It's like and Twitter. It's access. It is, is, is exactly <laughs> like Twitter, but less angry. But it was um, two hours 
of just us. There was about eight of us Whoa. phoning in, <laughs> just arguing or saying something ridiculous. Yeah, yeah, it was it, it was brilliant. We didn't record it though. That was that was yeah, that was what? the best. That was the best. Oh, a, a piece of well, this comedy like, gold that's lost. This is like a super group. It's like the Travelling Wilburys. No one here record. Who else was in it? I don't know. Julia Davis. It was someone like that. Someone wow. brilliant like that. Wow. Might not have been her, but it was someone like that. I suppose that's the ultimate prank call, and that after a while it stops being about the person you're phoning, and then just becomes a completely separate. So exciting, just going, hearing a voice going, I know that, but that's Matt <laughs> Lucas doing that. Yeah, that was a good one. How's um, how's Friday night dinner going? Oh, God, that was a nightmare. Oh, no, I'm enjoying that. Have you been uh, writing today? I'm, I'm, yes, I'm writing, um, I'm on series six, so I'm, I'm, I'm on episode four. Series is, six, well done. Thank I mean, you very much. thoroughly deserved. Ugh. So I'm on episode four. Have you run out of ideas? <laughs> is that what's happened? Because oh just... my god, it's so hard. Yeah, I'm, I'm, I am finding this. This series I'm finding hard. Yeah, oh, yeah. is it because yeah. you've done everything? I think I always find it really hard just writing on my own. I, it's just hard, isn't it? You know, there's no. I, I write at, the, at a library. I'm sort of on my own all day. I don't talk to anyone. I slowly go a bit insane. And I've, I've been. <laughs> I've literally the last five days. I don't think I've written. I, I'm just stuck. You know, when I'm oh. stuck on a plot point. You can't just move. Because weirdly, I don't know why, but this series, for some reason, I haven't plotted any of them at all. So I've just started writing, and I go, really? oh, that's a good beginning, and I know where it's going to end. And normally I plot it, but for some reason my method has changed for this series. <laughs> I don't know if this bodes well off terribly. <laughs> it but sounds it's been, like it's not working. <laughs> I know, but it's been like, okay, and then after about five weeks, I, it's done. And it's like, oh, my God, how did I do that? Yeah. So yeah, do you remember the experimental series of uh, Friday Night Dinner? That was rather good. For jazz. Yeah. Jazz yeah, yeah. series, yeah. The one we branched out. Well, we're filming it in sepia this year. So <laughs> yeah. Sepia, yeah. Right, good. And it's slowed by about a third. So it's, <laughs> they can it's write slow. less. And then, but towards the end, it speeds up. So by the end, it's it sort of, they speak um, 5% faster. <laughs> so it's just like that. Hello, Mum. Hi, Dad. How are you? Yes. Come on, time for dinner. They talk about you 5% faster. <laughs> That'd be such a good. That reminds me. That's the, that lovely old Terry Gilliam idea. He wanted to do a Monty Python episode that got gradually quieter. Oh, that's so at the fantastic. end of it, when it went to the news, it blew your speakers and your television. <laughs> But they only work with remote controls. Well, when my dad, um, years and years ago, my dad, when he used to watch TV, he would watch it and he'd get so involved in it, absorbed, that if you spoke to him, he he literally wouldn't hear you. He he just wouldn't hear you. Me and my brother used to have this trick where we used to have this uh, remote control, which when you press it, you wouldn't see anything on the screen, like it Mm. wouldn't come up. So he'd be watching. And over Mm. the course of about five, ten minutes, gradually we'd turn the sound down. So it would, (laughs) in the end, be, we kind of talking like this. And my dad would just be watching it 10 feet away. His brain had become used to that. And then we'd, like, give each other a nod. And then we'd we'd go the opposite way until it get louder (laughs) and louder. And then it would be just blaring. And it would be watching it for, like, a minute, blaring. And then suddenly you'd go, oh, my God, what the fuck are you doing? (laughs) I was, like, our favourite joke. You've worked out a way, which obviously everyone's dream is to continue doing the thing you did when you were a kid Mm. to a professional degree Mm. and fool people to occasionally pay you money for it. Do you ever think that what you're doing is too silly to be paid for? Is there a guilt thing going, this is just messing about, isn't it? Yeah, I know what you mean, yeah. No, never. I just think I deserve this. I bloody deserve this. Um, I should be paid less. Yeah, I, th- yeah, I, I think I, 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 whoever, you know, to Channel 4 now, please pay me less. I want to be. I want to be paid less. As an incentive, much less to get you back. I don't a, deserve it. Onto a reasonable writing process again, where you don't just four pound an hour. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. minimum you wage. Yeah, tips. So you get to keep your tips, though, don't you? Yeah, I get so tips. So if anyone really, really enjoys tips. the show, they can they can send you a tip.
Look Around You was, well, it was just a masterpiece. I remember when... Well, you're nice. Well, we, we saw... And we, you're nice too. We oh, were, yeah. Thanks. We were very lucky, weren't we? Because we... Became we buddies into each then. other, didn't we? And we, we went round to Peter's flat and... Do you remember you, you had an enormous TV screen and quite a small room, do you remember? Yes. yes. And yes. you were literally three feet away from the biggest TV then, ever. Yeah. yeah. And, and, you, and someone shoved the VHS in. Yeah, and VHS. And this thing came on which blew our minds. Oh, you're nice. Well, we Calcium, were, the pilot. Because we were annoyed because you'd been talking to us all afternoon or whenever we'd bumped into each other saying we've done this thing and it got to a point where we'd have enough to drink that you went come back and see the thing because you were really excited we went, yeah right why not go back and see the thing so we came back and we were all sort of nudging each other going it'll be like when a friend shows you a thing and it's a bit disappointing yeah, it's nice I would have loved to put something and, not very good and hopefully because we were doing family at the time we thought it's kind of a similar the greatest kind of, book in the oh, world thank you it was a kind of a similarly sort of silly mm, thing we thought what well, their silly thing won't be as good as our silly thing and we'll win and you put it on and we all just sat there really quietly at the end of it and went Thank you very much for saying this whole thing. <laughs> I went home and went, what the hell was it? Because it was so good. Oh, it was so nice. We so weren't nice. expecting it to be that done was the, that was the great. short film we made originally yeah. um, about calcium, yes. wasn't it? Yeah. Yes. Because when you left, we were like, oh, my God, they're the guys that did the Framley Examiner, <laughs> which, you know, I guess people know this listening to this, which is, to me, the funniest book ever written. Oh, thank you. That and the Monty Python books. That's, yeah. that's a very good, it's true. good company it's true. to be in. Thank you. It's really yeah. nice. It's just, yeah. Thanks, man. I oh, have bought that book so many times. Oh, Thank you. Because I just get so angry that I throw it away and I just buy it over. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> Do you want the money back? Please. Yeah, it's fine. But we, I remember watching that, that little VHS tape. It yeah. was a parody of something that would have been shown on a crappy television, on a great big television about two feet away from it. And then when you launched the actual series, the launch was at the IMAX. Yeah, it was. Yeah. Yeah. It was the biggest screen in the world, <laughs> on which a four by three parody of school television. <laughs> and when we were waiting for it to, to start, I remember nudging the person I was next to and saying, what if they wheeled a tiny little oh, telly on at the brilliant. front and showed it like a teacher came oh, on and put it on? Brilliant. And it was about eight inches across. But uh, it was I know, because we screen. thought, because it's such a, you know, the show is such a weird little stupid programme. And we sh- I think we showed three episodes and one of them was on sulphur. And there's a bit where, you- where it's an extreme close-up of a tiny bit of sulphur, but for a long time. And I remember thinking, we were talking, where should we show it? And then we suddenly thought, well, it's like, wouldn't it be funny seeing a little piece of sulphur blown up on the bigger <laughs> screen in the country? You know, that would be funny. And we, I mean, we did that, and that was great. It was just joyous. You and Peter there, there's obviously just a completely shared worldview. Yeah. One of those things that happened very rarely in a kind of Vic and Bob or an Anna and Katie way, where, where two people bump into each other and they've just got the same language. Suddenly. And it was like eavesdropping, because you talk a lot about doing tricks with your brother. It was like eavesdropping on siblings and what they found funny. And obviously Peter's brother was involved with it. Yeah, yeah, it sure. felt very family. Yeah, yeah, yeah. My brother was in it too. Actually. <laughs> was he? he was um, eating a revolting roast dinner in a wig. Yeah, it was in the episode of The Brain. But he, he like, just really enjoyed the food it was like the most it's like prop food you know which is like lower than prison food yeah. it was just eating it all it was a disgusting pie yeah and my mum was in it too and my dad was there yeah, my whole family was in it wow yeah. my dad says a million I think it's what's the largest number in the world what's the largest number you can think of um hundred thousand nine hundred ninety nine thousand a million in actual fact it's neither of these the largest number is about 45 billion. Did you find that voice together just immediately you, you, when you first met, you made each other laugh, or was it something that, that developed while the series was going on? We were on this thing years ago. I wrote this thing, co-wrote this thing with um, a guy called Mark Freeland, who's hilarious, and Matt Lucas and David Williams, and we wrote a thing which was terrible. Uh, it's called You Are Here, which was like a kind of, uh, like a spooky kind of village with weird people. And it was just at the same time as The Legal Gentleman did Every, the best show ever. Everyone had one of those at yeah, the same time. And we made, yeah. we made a bad one. We made a bad one. Anyway, we were writing that. And Peter was in it. And I and we, we bonded over 
a thing at night we called Pot Club. And, uh, <laughs> and, and well, I just. Ceramics? Yes, exactly. And he was a good potter and um, <laughs> I admired his work. No, and we just clicked. We just clicked. And not long after that, we'd be, you know, I think we at one point said, we're friends now, aren't we? We're, we're good friends. <laughs> yes. Is it an official announcement? Yeah, I think it was. <laughs> and then um, we just remember those old shows they used to show you, <clears throat> you know, where either they'd be on TV at home when you were ill as a kid yeah. or really late at night or it would be wheeled on in the terrifying TV at school. <laughs> And uh, we thought, well, let's make let's make one of those just for fun. It was so well made, though. I mean, I Tim Kirkby, our, our mate director, who's now like a massive. Yeah. He's you know doing amazing shows in America. He was he's just brilliant. He's he's just fantastic. Yeah, and we just together it worked so well. It's great. It was just the best fun ever. One of the, th- the best things we did because we all filmed it. You know, everywhere we filmed, we just we never got permits. We just turned up and filmed. And we found this old. I think Tim found it, an old petrol station in Camden that could double up as a kind of weird experimental centre. There's a bit where, what was it? Oh, that's it. A certain type of calcium, it leads to a thing called the um, Helvetica scenario. Right. Yes. And there's a shot yep. of like black and white footage of a, that's it, um, an experiment and uh, in a, behind a glass and you see a man in a white coat and then this figure comes up from under the glass and he's just got no face just skin (laughs) (laughs) and that was how vertical but the setup was that's it two guys carrying like a sheet on it was this blob of jelly it was a kind of calcium and we thought that would be the perfect place to film it there but we can't you know it's a working it was like an old-fashioned garage you know from like the 50s that still was there you know those women so we turned up there about 6.30 6.30 in the morning and we were about, we spent about an hour there <laughs> filming <laughs> and then as soon as we finish and as we walk up like the guys that work there just pulled up in their cars <laughs> and just opened, unlocked the door and went in and carried on their job no idea that they'd just been filming because fuck it they would have seen these two guys carrying as I said, a metal sheet with a big massive blob of golden jelly walking up to their door <laughs> but it had that feel one of the things I think that made it so wonderful of, of you being at the time, a very rare thing of being left alone. That it had been, it started out as a little sort of film that some mates had made. Yeah, but that's no what reason. you do as well, isn't it? Like it's well, hobbies, isn't it? You want to be left alone to yeah. do things. I mean, to be honest, it's why podcasting is, is so exciting, so fun. It's, there's no one to say no. Yeah. And because of that, you get advantages and disadvantages. Sure. That not being paid very much money is one of them. But one of those things that you really feel when something like Look Around You comes out, it has that feel of like Monty Python had or, or Vic and Bob or whatever, that people have been left on their own. And when a stupid idea like carrying a tray with some jelly into a petrol station mm. comes up, no one has had to sign off on it and say, that's no, that a stupid was, idea. No, that was signed off. Was it? By a lot of executives. <laughs> <laughs> and they've all been fired since. They've all been fired. But no, it is true. It is true. Let, that, yeah. Letting you get on with stuff, and then you can you can weirdly think about look around you. Is it is an experiment? It's an yeah, experiment yeah, totally. Itself. Yeah, I mean, we didn't think of it as a TV show ever. It was just, um, and people started saying you should do this TV, <laughs> and we were like, really? And we went to the BBC, and they said we'll give you six. And I think I said, how about ten? And they said, all right, eight. And we go, okay. It was like that. That's pure Monty Python. That's exactly... We'll give you six. Yeah, it was like you that. haggled yeah. over episodes. Well, I was so shocked that they said, well, we want to make this, um, but there's like ten minutes lots. Oh, OK, cool. I should have said nine. <laughs> <laughs> a nine parts, nine part, a nine part ten minute series would have been Eight better. Eight and a Christmas special. Mm. <laughs> there never was a Christmas special. No, but we did, write, we did write... Um, we did write... We started writing a Christmas one once. Really? Where it did was, you? Yeah, and it was, but it, obviously the traditions were really, really... <laughs> Really, you know, but it was all—it was horrible. I mean, it was horrible. We wrote a few other ones, or we wrote a couple of. We wrote one on gold, and there was a. <laughs> my favourite bit in it was, which was something about like gold 
was used in an alloy with if you mix with another metal and it's really strong but it's also flexible and then uh, which is why it's used in um, diving boards right? <laughs> <laughs> because you know it bounces or something like you know and then you cut to like this grim swimming pool no one's in it and then it was like a young girl like about 13 and she's standing on the diving board sort of bouncing slightly up and down on it you know and you're there's a close-up of the springs or the bit where the metal would be and it's talking about the alloy is so strong that it can withstand and then while he's talking the girl dives into the the, the swimming pool and it's a locked off shot it doesn't move and it keeps talking the alloy is so strong which means that and it talks about half a minute and you stop you start realizing this the girl hasn't come out of the water <laughs> she's, where's the girl she's just gone in the water doesn't and then after about a minute it cuts and moves on and you never find out what happens <laughs> <laughs> uh, I mean, that's what it's all about, isn't it? I mean, your stuff's, you know, nonsense as well, but it's all done straight and serious and real. Yeah, you know, that, yeah. You know your books, it's fantastic. Well, there's, there's a joke of saying that you mustn't flinch. You say yeah, something yeah, yeah, ludicrous, yeah. and the joke is, yeah. if, which again is something that, that siblings are really good at. You sort of say, let's do a thing, yeah. and we'll pretend this is yeah. our thing. Yeah. And we've agreed beforehand, right, everyone, shh, someone, dad's coming in, and then you all agree that it's a really good primal basic yeah. family joke yeah. to You're right. say let's all pretend it's St. St. Mungo's Day <laughs> that's, that's, that kind <laughs> that's of thing. good yeah. me and my brother used to have a thing where we would um, so that when we were young if one of us had did a bad thing the other one would claim responsibility for it and then get badly told off <laughs> And, but never admit, oh, actually, it was That's wasn't. amazing. Yeah, and that was a really... We did that for a while. And you can fantastic. escape shame that way, because it wasn't you. So it's my brother true. would do something bad, and then, who did that? Who did that? And I would say, I'm really sorry. They'd tell me off and get really angry, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> and and it, we, But we would have the last laugh, because it wasn't me, actually. It was fucking horrible kids. Didn't that inspire you to each do worse and worse things, to get the other one into more and more probably trouble? Probably did, yeah. yeah. Probably did. God, it's a child. It's ridiculous. <laughs> well, you, oh, the, the thing you brought in today is interesting. I think for various reasons one of which is Mrs you, Brown's boys uh, yeah, yeah Mrs Brown's boys because I think it's interesting in the sense that I, it hadn't occurred to me until you suggested it that weirdly what you did was very similar it's to start out doing something which is very very unfettered absurdism and get a name for doing quite anarchic and rebellious and wild uncontrolled things and then the next project you do is something which is very much within a form that television has made before. Sure. And then say, well, what can I do with this? I think it surprised a lot of people when you move sure. from Look Around You, which is just sheer... Mental. ...exploding whimsy, yeah. to something which is quite a precisely observed... Sure. Version, ...but carried the sense of humour across. What you brought in is, is Forty Towers, which is basically where John Cleese has done the same move. Yeah, well, I mean, obviously that... Much better he did it. But, I mean, obviously... <laughs> I think we're at, this is what we're debating today. Yeah, of course At the end of it, one of you will one win. One of us will win. <laughs> but, um... Yeah, that, that was always my funniest... I mean, you know, there was Monty Python. There was sort of two sides of my sort of things I like. It's like Monty Python, which is which is my favourite thing. And then in terms of sitcoms, well, 40 Towers, to me, was always the funniest thing. I don't think I've ever laughed more, ever, and since watching, you know, a comedy show. It's just so brilliant. <laughs> Everything about it, the writing, the characters, his performance, everything was so yeah, brilliant. Yeah. And, and I worked a lot on, you know, sitcoms. I have worked on lots of those. And I always wanted to do one. But I wanted to do one that made people laugh lots. You know, you either yeah. love it, you don't like it or whatever. But I wanted to aim something that has, like, big laughs that you're, that you're really laughing at. And that was always just my inspiration. I mean, yeah. you know, you, one aspires to things that are yeah, great. Yeah, and that was, to me, just the funniest show I've ever seen was always 40 Towers. 
Spoons, eh? I'm sorry? Spoons. <laughs> I beg your pardon, I understand you're in the spoon trade. And re-watching it recently was... Yes, this is a funny show I've ever seen. It's terrifying, isn't it? Rewatching it, we we both said this that rewatching it, you really, really laugh. Yeah, out loud. It's I a mean, really yeah. physical. It's a. I mean, it's a very physical mm. show, but your reaction is very physical as exactly. well. I was sitting watching the episode that you chose is the hotel inspectors, yeah. um, and I was sitting watching it yesterday and laughing so loudly and eventually and grabbing my son eventually and getting him in the room and saying, "You've got to watch Has this." Has he ever You've seen Forty Hours before? No, he hadn't. How seen old it is before. it? Ten. Did you like it? Yes. Oh, fantastic. My yep. son loves it, and he, he watched How it quite young. He, he, when he first watched it, he was about seven or eight, and wow. Manuel was the way in. Seven is what I think you say. Uh, for, uh, I, uh, you, uh, como se dice en inglés, uh, pero solamente puedo uh, ver los números cuando los tengo delante. The pate and the lamb. Sí, pate lamba, pate lamba, pate lamba, pate lamba. The basic dynamic of the show, if you've understood The Simpsons, which a lot of kids have watched cartoons and things yeah. like yeah. The Simpsons. Uh, I mean, I never understood it, but yeah. Yeah, but there's, <laughs> there's the angry dad and the, the kid. Sure. Manuel's basically Bart, and sort of, they've got that relationship. It it has got the, the energy of a cartoon. And I think that actually, for a very cerebral and very, very well-written show, mm. it's totally accessible for little kids. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's yeah. probably the reason that we liked it growing up. It, it did feel quite a grown-up show to watch. It did, but kid. it was really, really, really funny. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Manuel? The bottle. Uh, yes. Where is it? Okay. Donde es... Uh... Oh, I take it. Oh. I take it, I take it. Come here. Yeah. You're a waste of space. Oh! <laughs> and it's an agonising watch. I love those things, you know, where you can't... You just want it to end. Please end, but I yeah. can't stop watching. I mean, that's what I wanted to do with my show when I started writing Friday Night Dinner. I, I just suddenly had this idea one day and I thought, oh, when, when my brother and I, we would go home, you know, we're Jewish, we're not religious, but we used to go home Friday nights for... That was our Sunday lunch. And as soon as we went home, we did regress. You become yeah. like 13. Yeah. And when I speak to, spoke to people, and said, yeah, we do that as well. I thought, oh, there's a thing there. Like, it's a unifying thing. People do do that. Hold on, there's a show here, Friday Night Dinner. It's a good, good title. It felt like, you know what it is, yeah. sort of. The guys turn up and they leave. At the end, you know, and it ends yeah. over one night. Well, I want to kind of set it in a house. I mean, you know, I can't do The Royal Family, which was ridiculously brilliant, which is really slow and... Beautiful. Yeah. I want to do something fast and lots happen. That's what I wanted to do. My lovely profiteroles all over the floor. Oh, I'm sorry, Jackie. I'll make some new ones, I promise. How can you make some new profiteroles? You can't even open an egg. And I always thought of 40 Towers for its pacing. And, you know, you get if you just turn 40 Towers on in the last minute and saw the, last, the end, you would think, how the hell did it get here? Yeah. And yep. it's that journey that I always liked about that show. You can never guess what's going to happen. Yeah, to know. write that those those sort of inevitable but surprising consequences. It's it's always that what start what happens at the beginning of a Forty Towers episode is that is that he starts a, a trap. Yeah, totally. He sets it off. He's like mouse trap, and yep. he's going to get caught in it. And you just watch him. Yep, yep, yep. Be cornered but by the machine. Rewatching it again, he, his writing, you know, is always is their writing. You yep. know, him and Connie, but the way he hides information because it's so plotty. Yes. it's so you know that's that's one of the hardest things about being a writer. I think writing is hiding info that's important amongst jokes, among throwaway yes. stuff. He does it so well. You you know, only watching it again when I started watching it again. Thinking now for this, actually, like, oh, how did he write that? 
Ah, oh, he hit that line there. I'd yeah. never really thought yeah. about that line. There was the, the opening of Hotel Inspectors where it opens with Sybil's on the phone and she's having a phone call with an annoying friend and she's being very Sybil. And there's all that class judgment about Sybil that's in there. <laughs> yeah. And it's all in there. You see the two of them, and there's a brilliant thing that they set up where where she won't give him the no, box of matches. No. She only gives him a single match. It tells you everything about their relationship. That she, yeah. she can't be trusted it's, with yeah, a whole a box thin of matches. Match. Yeah. Little match goes to. But she's having a conversation with her friend. And I was thinking, they're going, no, that conversation with their friends, it's kind of run out of gags by this, but why are they still, why are we still hearing this? And it's because the information the hotel inspectors are coming is going to yeah. come through Sybil's phone call. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, yeah. So that it's never thrown away. When she comes in, there's a bit of dynamic about their, their marriage and who they are, but hidden in the middle of it, yeah. really clearly, is no. there are three men coming. Yeah, yeah. A friend of Bill Morton's overheard three men in a pub last night comparing notes on places they'd just been in Exeter. Two men. I'll call Bill. Friend of Bill Morton's. Yeah, yeah. who's the vision mixer on 40 yes. Towers, isn't it? Is Bill it? Is it? Yeah. Yeah. Ah. It's, it's a nod to the crew, little nod. For the rest of it, all you're listening out for are the phrases, three men. Well, that's... that's it's genius. Yeah, that's what he does. So, well, he plants things, words, little bombs that go off. When you hear it again, ah, three men, I know what that is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There, but you don't know at the time. It's so brilliant. I'm down here on business with a couple of colleagues and we are not in the wine trade. Ah, it's just that you're obviously so expert. No, I'm not expert. Oh, but you are. No, I'm not. Oh, yes, you are. I am not an expert. Trillium? <laughs> what? Trillium? <laughs> yes, there are three of us. Well, the other two aren't here. They're staying at another hotel. Wait. I was listening to an interview with Cleese and Connie Booth about... You mean you were sitting together listening to an interview with him and Connie? With him Booth, and Connie. Yeah. They were near me. They were near me. <laughs> Because notoriously, they took about six weeks to write each episode. See, I don't think that's so bad. I mean, it no. takes me five weeks. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I know. But I they, always heard six weeks is that, that bad. They spent two and a half weeks plotting before yeah. they wrote a single line of dialogue. No, I need so to obviously, do that. the plot is. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> We're not in, this, not in the experimental series, you know, no, not no. in the famous experimental series no, no, of course, six. Of yeah. course. So, that, so that's a lot of working five things out because they are, they're farces, aren't they? So mm. all the things have to lock together very yep. tightly. Yeah. And, and when the thing comes tumbling down, you've got to have built enough stuff so that it falls over with a huge clatter. Totally true, yeah. But I think that, that thing, the fact that it is a, a formal farce, uh, has set a very high bar for other sitcoms to follow. And it's possible to do that and make it feel mechanical. Because a lot of the very, very good sitcoms that people really enjoy are very organic and very lively yep, yep. and they just, just flow and it's just about character. But because this has got two and a half weeks' work, it reminded me of there's a lovely description of P.G. Woodhouse, and he, he's one of the few great authors who wrote on index cards even back then wow. and had like a floor covered in index cards to work out where Bertie needed to be wow. and what line wow. he needed to have told. Yeah, I'm sure. And there's that feeling of that's the birth of sort of classic sitcom structure yep. Is, yep. is back in, in Woodhouse. Mm. And this this feels like it's got the thing that then became the, the template for Frasier and things like that, where, where it is, or, or Seinfeld, where there is a, a formal beauty to the payoff of the A, B and C and D plots. And actually... You need weeks and weeks and weeks to do that, and you don't need to start writing until you've got all that stuff in place. It's incredibly disciplined. <laughs> I'd like a bottle that right, isn't Right, that's for... cost me, hasn't it? Well, never mind, I'll get you another bottle. I do hope you're all enjoying our meals. Sometimes you forget his performance, his act, John Cleese's performance. Yeah. There's a bit I love oh. is when... <laughs> I remember this, because I used to watch this on um, VHS, like, yeah. tape from the TV yeah. with my brother, yeah. and we watched, you know, I mean, I've watched every episode easily 50, 60 times. Yeah, I And there was think, a yeah. bit in the middle where he's convinced one of the guys who's played by, is it James Cosins? Is that his name? Yeah, yes. Mr. Walt, yes. That's it, is a hotel inspector, and he, and he sort of reveals it. And he goes, oh, my God, what have I done? Oh, please. It's taken us 12 years to build this place up. Don't put this in the book. We're finished if you don't. Please don't. Book? What book? The hotel guy. Oh, sorry. I shouldn't have mentioned it. But what have I done? <laughs> You've got me confused with someone else. 
And he just sort of crunches his, scrunches his body up. It goes sort of yeah. taller as well and then goes on sort of like tiptoes. Yeah. And it's just such a funny physical thing. But I remember that because when we, our tape we had, when we were playing that one time, someone pressed record by mistake. So there's a, like a 20-second commercial. I think it was for like Rumbelows or something <laughs> like that. So whenever I get to that bit, I always think, oh, that bit's going to go off, Rumbelows. Oh, no, it's fine. But what have I done? We save your money and serve you right. <laughs> You've got me confused with someone else. Can we talk about John Cleese's legs? Because the more <laughs> I thought about it, the more I thought he's got the funniest legs yeah, in show business. Course, yeah. Yeah. He does. He does so much leg mm, work, leg literally work, yeah. leg business. He does. Um, he he does. does. He does. There's a few bits in this episode. Aren't there? There's a lovely bit where he's uncorking the wine. Yeah. Oh, when he, when he turns it, around. When he turns around yeah. and just he has just a sip raises, and it's bad. He yeah, raises, raises his one leg. That's an Eric Morecambe gesture. That's a real bit of physical clowning. Is that? It's a proper piece of variety theatre clowning. The the scene in The Kipper and the Corpse where there's the body in the wardrobe and Polly's trying to give him clues about she's saying the, uh, his arm is hanging out of the wardrobe. She's trying to explain it to him because there are two other people in the room. And when John Cleese spots it, he then shouts, oh, my God, look over there, um, and jumps into the corner of the room and jumps in this kind of grasshopper fashion yeah. on top of an imaginary pest Insect of some pest sort. That, yeah. It's just brilliant. And it reminded me of the... You know what this is. There's an outtake, isn't there, from Life, Life of Brian. Brian. The sign that is the sign. The sign that, that is the sign. When people need to gather around Brian at the yeah. end of Life of Brian, the idea is that all the different factions will come down and, and worship while he's on the cross. And they go, the sign, this is the sign. And it's just some birds being launched and things. And then eventually there's a bit where there's just a silhouette on a hillside of some kind of mad prophet doing a dance. And it's from vast distance. It's clearly John Cleese. And the movements are incredible. It's like almost like a King Tut, Steve Martin-style dancing. But you can tell in a long shot on a horizon who he is. And I think there's a slight resentment in Cleese about how good he is at physical clowning. That he sort of wants to go... Well, you mean he thinks it's slightly below him? I don't know, but there he does it so well. And when he's being the French knight in, in um, Holy Ground, he's, yeah, he's slapping his head yeah. in a yeah. way no one else could slap their head. <laughs> he's got this, this intuitive clowning all his genius. Movements, all his movements are just so... They're just so odd and but different. No one else can move like him. The giveaway, you know. we, we were talking about this earlier on, that there was a stage adaptation when he needed money recently because he'd got divorced yeah, yeah. at the time. Yeah. And he obviously talked to Eric Idle and said, how are you making your money? And Eric said, oh, just stage adaptation, just selling the stuff. And Cleese had done a stage adaptation of 40 Towers, stuck three episodes together and put it on in Australia. In Australia, that's right. And it kind of flopped. And you go, because weirdly, even though these are the best scripts ever, if you give them to someone else, yeah. it's not like doing Allo Allo in regional theatre where everyone can bring a bit of panto. They're unrepeatable. And you watch... It's like... Remake, it's like done. remaking The Office with Robert Lindsay. <laughs> <laughs> what's, oh, God. <laughs> what seems to be essential to this is not only... Because have you seen the... There's a Doctor at Large where he tried the plot out first about a horrible hotelier played by... Timothy, Timothy Bates. Timothy Bates plays a rotten hotelier, the guy they, the Pythons had met. And they do it, and it's written by John Cleese, 1971. I heard about this, wouldn't I? And the thing that's odd about it is it's written by the same guy with a lot of the same jokes, and there's even a, a Roy Kinnear character who's a little bit like Bernard Cribbins' character in this. It's dry runs for everything. And it just dies. Now, what is it? I believe you have a room booked for me. Uh, uh, wait a minute. Uh, I mean, uh, you, you uh, wait. Uh, why should I do the sprouts? Hmm? I'm, I'm, I'm sorry, but uh, <laughs> I can't do everything around here, you know? No, no, quite. Um, now, uh, well, what is it that you want? I, I believe you have a room. Uh, yes, all right, I'm coming to do them now, dear. Uh, did you book a sprout? <laughs> <laughs> and you realise that when you make this, the scripts are, of course, the thing everyone talks about. But without Cleese yeah, and Pronouncals and Andrew Sachs and, 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 and Connie Booth all in it, even, it's not funny. All, all the small parts are brilliant. You yeah, know, yeah. The casting is so good. It's, it's brilliantly just, done. 
Everyone is perfect. It's, it's Ballard Barclay is no, just I mean, phenomenal. He's arrived forty. I mean, he's just incredible. He's just doing back, background business in hotel inspectors, and it's just oh, being, when, when he tears, he goes here. I've torn it up. You'll never see. He yeah, tears yeah. up the omelette. This is my favourite, uh, and he yeah. pans it over and just because they always just chuck things on, yeah. on the major's he's desk. Delighted. Table, and he just starts he's eating so it. So delighted. A bit of this, cheese with please. this ripped omelette that he's just been given. It was arrived forty years. Not yet. Oh, not yet. No major. No, sorry. Sorry. There was a feeling when Cleese did this. I really, if you read Michael Palin's diaries, yeah. amongst all the Pythons, there was a slight disappointment that he'd done something conventional. And and Palin's very, uh, being Palin's very generous about it, he said, a magnificent performance, manic energy, all this brilliant stuff. And he said, but it is very conventional. It's conventionally lit, conventionally yeah. filmed, conventionally cast. Mm. And I thought, think, actually, weirdly, it's not conventionally cast. When you see it done with a standard sitcom cast. <laughs> I beg your pardon? I, I want a room. Yeah. Why couldn't you say so before? Yeah. It's not as good. Yes, yes, well, yes. <laughs> uh, well, I was wondering if you could offer me accommodation for a few nights. Well, have you booked? I'm sorry. Have you booked? <laughs> have you booked? I oh, know. Oh, dear. There is something blue chip. There is a touch of class about the casting. There is people like Brunel Scales, who's just brilliant. How are you getting on with your hotel inspector? Oh, fine, fine. He sells spoons. And there was yeah. a note which I think... I sort of observed, but I hadn't noticed before, which I heard Cleese talking about, which was that he said to the cast, not the director, he said, we're going to play this and ignore the audience laughter. So Because right. they were long scripts. Right. Usually a script then ran 65 pages. Some of these ran 130, 140 pages. They were huge. So they've got to go at incredible speed. Yeah. So he said, ignore the laughs. Just roll on. So, and I was thinking, yeah, because there's that the absolutely phenomenal opening of A Touch of Class where he's on the phone to the builder and the guy says, well, I'm Lord Melbury, so I own his yeah. I'm Melbury. And then there's a pause and Basil looks down and just says... Go away. And then he meet, and there's a huge there's a massive laugh, and he carries, and he carries on, on talking. You're right, and I hadn't thought about that. On. And there's, there's a lot one, of talking over laughter. Yeah, and there's one in this one yeah. where because there's such a huge laugh at the end when Bernard Cribbins gets two pies, one in the face, oh. one in the crotch, and then Manuel opens his briefcase and in the stage directions it says he pours pours a pint of best quality cream oh. into his briefcase. Cream in that. <laughs> Please, Senor, Mr. Fawlty, want to say adios? He wants to. No, no. And when he closes the case, closes the, the cream case, comes turns out. him out and just pushes him out of the door. And there's such a huge laugh that you don't hear. There's a line in there yeah. which is Cleese saying to him, "Now go away. If you ever come back, I shall kill you." <laughs> imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today.
Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50% to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. I don't know. I, I might be wrong, but I think he fluffs the ending. Because right at the ending, the three gentlemen turn up. Yes. Yeah. He goes, uh, he goes uh, how can I help you three gentlemen? Good afternoon, gentlemen. Good afternoon, gentlemen. And how can I help you three gentlemen? Yes. And I think, he, I bet you the line was, good afternoon. It how was, can I help you three it gentlemen? Was, I double checked that because I noticed that as well. But yeah, that, the gentlemen and gentlemen. Yeah, that for an ending. The cut away from his scream is... Like I mean, all of Fort Towns ends like that, straight away. Perfect to the frame, yeah. Yeah, yeah, of <laughs> Good afternoon, gentlemen. And what can I do for you three gentlemen? It, it, they said that it's a total coincidence that the first one's a touch of class and about snobbery. Yeah. But weirdly, the whole thing is about class. Yeah, There's course. a beautiful yeah. touch in here, because obviously you're assuming uh, Sybil is lower, lower middle class... Hence her clothes. And Basil is lower middle class aspirant to like a higher thing. Mm. When he runs up against someone of exactly the same class, Bernard Cribbins, he objects to all the tiny, <laughs> tiny class differences, like him using slightly posher phrases that yes. he should do. He's absolute disdain for someone who is doing exactly what he's doing. Indeed I am, yes. Now, is it possible for me to reserve the BBC Two channel for the duration of this televisual feast? Why don't you talk properly? <laughs> I beg your pardon? No, it isn't. All of that is to do with British class. And you, I don't know if you'd even read that as an American. You'd know that they detest each other because he's attempting to do to his language what Basil does to the menu and put, like, sort of long words on it. Why don't you speak properly? But Bernard Cribbins' performance, I think... So, oh, I mean, God, the reason I chose this one, because I started re-watching them again, was, I mean, you can choose anyone. I, I just used to watch this a lot with my brother. And I think Bernard Cribbins is, for me, like, the star of the episode. Yeah. He's great, Bill, isn't he? It's such an incredible performance. Every yeah. single beat is perfect. It, it's so committed. It's, it's, it's well, ridiculous. You've, got, you've, it's, you've yes. doubled down. He's you've just got, in it. He's in you've it. Got, you've got a pompous ass in this. You've got one mannering, a big pompous man. And then you put another man who can mm. be the lead in another sitcom, a spoon salesman yes. with ideas of his station who wants spoons. to... Spoons. Ten P's and six O's. I checked the script. <laughs> Wow, I should have checked this <laughs> with a raspberry in it. But because you've got the two of them, what you can do formally in this one, and Forty Towers is an antic farce. Do you know there's doors opening and closing, yeah, yeah, yeah. you're running up and down stairs and mistaken identity. And this one, when they go into the dining room for what is not a big event scene, it's just having a normal mm. meal. Yeah, it just stays there. Yeah. It just stays there. Yeah, yeah. For a long time. So long in there. Basil goes isn't... in and out of a door occasionally to get a bottle of yeah. wine, but otherwise, all you're watching is James Cossins and Bernard Cribbins and. And, James uh, Cousins is incredible. And John Cleese so dry. Compete yeah. for the ownership of that space as a sitcom character. Yeah. It's just and they just stay there. The whole episode is done there and then they go back to the foyer. Does James Cousins have a moustache in this? I can't remember. I think he does. I think because, he does. Because I, I was there was a there was an Andrew Sachs interview in which he said um, I think he's he a he was, thin moustache, isn't he? I think he might have, yeah. Andrew Sachs said I wanted to have uh, a moustache because I was worried I'd never had a regular role in a sitcom before and I thought I don't want to be bothered on the street too much so I, so he said to the producer John Howard Davis can I have a moustache 
and he was absolutely sure that John was going to say no because you can't have two moustaches in a show, right? Well, and, and John Howard rule. Davis went, yeah, fine. Yeah. So in this show, you've got there are four, five moustaches going. Yeah. This is, I mean, this is a did very moustache episode. Did you no, I didn't. It just occurred to me when I when I heard him read that thing because There's I heard John, John yeah. <laughs> Bernard Cribbins' moustache. Yes, that is a Hitler moustache. It was mentioned. Yeah, 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 yeah. Pretty right. obviously. Could you do that in a moment, please? I'm on the telephone. Well, you haven't finished dialing yet, have you? Now listen. <laughs> Bernard Cribbins turns up and he's a prick. Yeah. And you immediately go, oh, but also because Basil is also a prick, you're always, you're throwing your sympathies backwards and forwards. Palin's first reaction to 40 Towers was he said, there's no reserves of warmth or empathy for the lead character. And you love him, though. You you love him, weirdly, because they put him up against these quite big sitcom characters Mm -hmm. who could be in Doctor at Large, but then they just drill down and do them as well as you possibly can. No one in this isn't a sitcom archetype. There are sort of flirty women and there are... His relationship with Sybil is not a million miles away from George and Mildred. There's a henpecked that's kind true. of husband yeah, thing going. It's true. all very trash. There's, sort of, there's glimpses of slight warmth. There's, uh, there's one of the episodes where he goes, do you remember we used to laugh a lot? Do you remember? And she goes, yes, yeah, not at the same time. <laughs> Do you want to hear my John Cleese story when I met John Cleese? It's, it's, oh, it's, yeah, it's really embarrassing. So the backstory is this. Basically, I, I associate the show with me and my brother watching it the whole time, my younger brother. And after a while, we developed a game where I would say a line from the show and, and he'd say one to me and I'd go, oh, that's from this episode and it's the bit where blah, blah, blah. Yeah, yeah. And we were playing it one time and I just invented a line which sounds like it could be John Cleese. <laughs> and the line was, I think it sounds perfect, is try looking through it. Sounds the sort of thing he'd say to <laughs> yeah, someone. Yeah, yeah. And he went, oh, well, I know that one, I can't. Try looking through it. And he'd spent ages, ages trying to think, no, don't tell me that. And he goes, I don't know. And he goes, I made it up. Oh, you bastard boy. <laughs> so that became a sort of catchphrase yeah. for us. Try looking through it. We say every now and then to each other. Anyway, about eight years ago, I was in town somewhere in a restauranty bar place. John Cleese walks in. And I thought, no, I'm not, obviously not going to go. And I find myself walking towards him thinking, I don't know how this is going to go, but I'm going to say, and I go, Hello there. Oh, sorry. He goes, oh, hello. He's mildly friendly. It's like a bit scary. And I go, oh, sorry. Hello, my name's Robert. Um, I sort of work, work in comedy industry, but it doesn't matter. But I just want to say, obviously, I love uh, Monty Python and uh, Four Towers, is my favourite show ever. And I know you get this all the time, like properly, like fan, but scared yeah. fan. And I used to watch it with my brother. Oh, did you? And all this stuff. And I thought, am I going to tell him the, the funny anecdote with my brother or game? And, I thought, and my brain sort of said, don't tell him that. And I thought, I'm going to tell him. He goes, yes. Actually, yeah. Me and my brother had this game we used to play. Oh, right. He was, like, not interested and definitely wanted to go. And I thought, fuck, this is quite complicated. Stuff. <laughs> well, we used to watch it and we would say a line from the show, right, uh, whatever that is, you know, and, 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 and then the other one, like, my brother would have to work out where that's from, right? And one time I, I, I said a line that well, wasn't in the, in the show, um, try looking through it. And he, then he went, try looking through it. I said, yeah, no, it's, n- it's not in the show. No, it's not in the show. He, he, he said that to me. He didn't understand what I was saying. No, no, that was the point. I'd, I said a, a line that wasn't in the show as a joke, right? But I don't understand. What do you mean you said a line? Try looking through it. I don't understand. And it was a really horrible, oh, no. awkward, and didn't understand what I was you saying. You wasted your chance. Oh, and then it ended with, well, lovely, nice to meet you. Goodbye. <laughs> and then I met him. About a week later, randomly at a screen, at a, he did something at the BFI, and I went. Someone went, and we went backstage afterwards, and he introduced me, shook my hand, said hello. Oh, hello, I'm a friend of blah blah blah. And there was like a five percent recognition in his eye. I'm sure, I've met you before. I didn't say try looking through. It would have been good if he just said to me, try looking through it. Yeah. <laughs> well, may I ask, 
just what you were expecting to see out of a talky hotel bedroom window? <laughs> Sydney Opera House, perhaps? The hanging gardens of Babylon? Herds of wildebeest sweeping majestically? There's so much good dialogue in Forty Towers, isn't there? The one line that popped out on me because it's just at a moment of huge crisis where I can cope. No, you can't. Like, no, obviously I can't cope. I'm just a great sabre-toothed tart, oh. so we'll let my husband do it. My, my favourite line of this, I was delighted because you talk about that thing of doing it over the laugh, not caring what laugh it gets. And there's that lovely line where Bernard Cribbins wants to borrow a table tennis table. Somebody in there mentioned that you had a table tennis table. Indeed we do, yes. It is not in absolutely mint condition, but it could certainly be used in an emergency. Ah. And it gets no and he laugh. Goes, and then he says, uh, it's on the south wing, where of course you'll find ample parking, yeah. like advertising. <laughs> but his face. John Cleese apparently said that's his favourite line yeah. from the episode, or possibly from the whole series. Yeah. And it might be his favourite like line. Like the blandest line. Because it doesn't great. get yeah, a yeah. laugh. Yeah. Yeah. For him, it's very much yeah. his, it's his try looking through it, I think, yeah. for him. But you often talk about on this podcast, which I've always thought about, and I haven't really heard it like sort of said until I listened to your thing, just about the musicality of it all. Yeah. It's just, yeah. you know, it's perfect. The rhythm, the gaps... Yeah, everything is well, the, just the musicality. It's such a musical. Maybe that's yeah. what's so delightful about it. Is not only has it got the musicality, which obviously Cleese was always terrific at rhythm and yeah. cadence and tone. Connie Booth said they worked really hard on the setup. Said, but she defers to him and said the musicality and the, the use of words was very much Cleese's. But there's a feeling that he's dancing to the music he's singing. The mo- the physical part, pissy part of it. So he knows when he goes with ample parking. You know yeah. where his body's yeah, going to yeah, be. Yeah, yeah. He's, it's like watching someone a, a really good. It's like watching Gene Kelly. It's someone who is dancing yeah, to a very well rehearsed. His movement. You watch his. You watch him, but you watch his movements. You can't take your eyes off him in a scene. You can't take your eyes off him, and because yeah. you know sometimes the show has really really weird moments. We're watching. We're watching the Germans, and he's been in hospital, mm. and he's got a bandage around his head, and the two old ladies are there. Miss Tibbs and Miss um, Gatsby. They said, "Oh, you've had a nasty shock," and he suddenly goes, "Do you think so?" And he. And there's the, the reception bell, and he dings it, goes ding, and he goes, next, please. But it was a nasty knock. Mm, would you like one? Next, please. Yeah. It's just so weird. <laughs> yeah. It's like a python. Do you think so? Ding, next, please. Yeah, and then it's it a just carries. Python... It's such a weird conceptual, what's that? Oh, dear, we're back to that again. Basil is clearly not stupid. He gets caught by pretending he's cleverer than he is. Yeah. And in fact, the real joy of this is that it's a trapped sitcom in inverted commas, like everyone is. It's just the small number of sets, yeah, the classic thing. But he's trapped doing a job he shouldn't be doing, but it's the one job he wants to do. But what he's really trapped by is himself. Yeah, and there's totally. that wonderful line with it. Fuck it. Basil, it was your mistake. No, you let me handle that. Basil! The business was in your own imagination. Right, the entire point of the episode, he made it up. Yeah. He has trapped himself yeah. in a situation <laughs> but that... But he always does. It's always that, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> it's because he just lies. Well, he tells a lie and then there's another lie. Yeah. And there's another lie. And it has, gets worse and worse. I mean, that's every episode, isn't it? He, he lies. And but then... the, two, the two flips in this, the, flip, the first one where he thinks Mr Walt is a hotel inspector mm. and the second one where he thinks Mr Hutchinson is a, ho- is a hotel yeah. inspector, they're both just glorious, aren't yeah. they? Because he has Three to suddenly... 180 his behaviour yeah and then he hates the other one yes. yeah he instantly yeah. despises 
phrase is the you, other you've one. You set someone up. And, yeah, what you're watching, I suppose, in that one room uh, is, is a series of uh, of gags on. I mean, we talk about status a lot in this thing. Clowning on high and low status. Who is in charge and who's not in charge? And what this episode has got in it technically is two switches of status. Yeah. And yeah. then it does a couple of riffs on it at the end. And you've got this room in which you trapped everyone. Then you go, well, what if the man in charge? What if you're, you're flipping around? The king becomes a jester. There's all this sort of formal stuff going on. And that thing, I think he identifies Hutchinson as possibly the hotel inspector. About 15, 16 minutes in, so it's halfway Is through it the that, episode. I was, try, I was trying to think when... It's about halfway through and you go, oh, and you almost strap him for the ride yeah, and go, yeah, well, we right. know where this is going to yeah, go. Yeah, yeah. There's a real delight of, of every time one of those switches But happen. he often does two things, which I, I love yeah. doing things like that. There's one, oh, there's another one. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. always funny doing two things. When you watch other sitcoms from around this time, that half hour, that BBC half hour, and yeah. some of these run to like 34 minutes. Mm, 36 and a half in one they, case. They yeah. run long, BBC yeah, two, yeah, yeah, flexible sure. half hours. And you're wondering why when you watch another sitcom from this era, it feels really slow. And part of it is that they are waiting for the laughs in the other ones. And this one, they're, they're talking right, over I hadn't it. thought about those laughs. Though. The other one is that it runs long because there's usually two or three story ideas in it. There's a feeling of that in Forty Towers that a new idea will be triggered about 60 minutes in and you're in very capable hands so you go oh great another story well, when we're watching the Germans mm. you watch it and it's like 15 minutes in and the Germans haven't even arrived yet and there's <laughs> no, you know, no. fire alarm's gone off she's in hospital then he goes back to hospital the moose is head falls there's yep. so many things and then suddenly there's and a then, completely different oh, Basil Fawlty yeah and this is the thing the show is famous for oh here it is two yeah. thirds in it's the Germans yeah yeah it's, it's I mean it's just astounding how brilliant Every episode is. It's, it's, all about it's pace, just no. constant, at high level at the whole time. The whole it's a time. machine it's, gun. It's, yeah, it is. I think it's one I mean, of the reasons it's quite good there's only 12 episodes. Is I think you would be exhausted if there were 18. Oh, I'd love to have more. You want more? You? Yeah. Well, bad I was, I was reading, six bad ones. He wrote a bad I film. Reading about, I heard about, I about, reading about the film. film. Yeah. But the film, the, the plot of the no, film is just, no. it's wonderful though, isn't it? Isn't it good? He oh, finally yes. gets the chance to go to Spain to meet Manuel's parents and, the, and he had two ideas and the first idea was we'll go to a hotel which will be worse than 40 Towers. Right. Now that sounds like a bad film. Oh, sorry, that, that's your basic sitcom that's, film, yeah. they go to Spain. But idea two, which was the evolution of idea one, was much better, which was that he gets on the plane at Heathrow and there's a 16-hour delay and well, he's so funny. pissed off that's after the 16-hour <laughs> delay that when the plane finally takes off, a hijacker... Set, uh, hijacks the plane. Which and, and I thought at that point that's not a good idea. But then, well, then, but then it gets then, good. So Basil then overcomes the hijacker, and the the captain of the plane says, "I'm sorry, I'm going to have to take the plane back to Heathrow because we've got to get this guy arrested." And Basil says, "No, you don't," and hijacks the plane and says, "I'm going to Spain." Yeah, that was good. Then he got to Spain, and then he spends two weeks in a Spanish prison, and he's released in time to get the flight home. <laughs> that is, I mean, I like good. to see that. I love Polly and Basil's relationship, that Polly, for no reason at all, will always defend him. This is such a strange relationship. She's always... Yeah, that's true, yeah. She was, yeah. She was yeah. working overtime, and it's a small part. But weirdly, the fact that she is always his ally in his insane schemes, whether it's the gambling stuff or just lying for him or doing that amazing bit in... in Dragonfly. What about also the high turn inspectors where they're doing the thing where they're pretending that you can talk to someone oh, yes, while looking yeah. at someone, someone else? else. God, that's, that's weird, that bit, isn't it? <laughs> that scene is so you weird. imagine how yeah. much rehearsal I know. I mean, the whole thing, the rehearsal. <laughs> in fact, one of the things that's worth saying, because the funny thing, if you Google 40 Towers now, it's been completely torpedoed by the 40 Towers dining experience. If you look for reviews of <laughs> oh, 40 God. Towers, you only get reviews God. on TripAdvisor of the, the impersonation of it, which, oddly, this episode is. It's basically they're stuck in a dining room watching it play out. But the other thing that turns up all the time is that letter from Ian Main. There was yeah. a BBC script editor saying that yeah. he was rejecting the script for, for the first draft script of 40 Towers, saying it was predictable and trite and cliched. 
And the interesting thing about that is everyone's used it as, oh, the executives, they were always like that. And I look at it and think, I bet it was nothing on the page. Unless you Funny knew who was going to be in it, unless you knew it was going to be this fast, unless you knew it was going to dance like this and have all that movement in it, I think we think the scripts are obviously brilliant, but I bet you could read this and go... But you put go, Robert Lindsay in it, and yeah. then it... No, when I worked at Granada years ago, where they made The Royal Family, there was a letter from, a, like, a script reader, they would farm things out, and I wish I kept it. it. And it was The Royal Family script, you know, before they made it, and and they were going to make it, but they, they gave it to a script reader to say, you know, are we sure, what do you think? And it was exactly the same. Nothing happens, yeah. it's really boring. Uh, verdict, trash. It was like that. Wow. And it was the royal family. And I think so, yeah. that, is a, well. that is a perfectly reasonable reading of these things because what happens with the, a lot of these great classic sitcoms is they transcend that. And this is on the, pa- on the paper from the man who gave you Monty Python, a very predictable, stale set of characters he'd yeah. done in Doctor at Large. Yeah, sure. I think what's missing is the thing we all take for granted. If you imagine a world where 40 Towers doesn't exist and you don't know it's done at this pace with this ballet of movement and this astonishing cast... I think you might. Well, I mean, go, I imagine if you vanilla. if you read like the first Office script, you might think, okay, yeah, what it's is what staper, is this? Yeah, Soper and Jelly's quite funny. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know what I mean? What you you might go, I yeah, think it's okay. I, I you know until Ricky's in it and they yeah. do their thing, it's like this is you know a masterpiece. You yeah. you can't know until it's one of the things that that's that's so hard when people sort of say, go to sort of writing classes and ask people to read their scripts and things, and you keep want to say, I don't know. Yeah. One of the things that might be advantageous for the future of comedy is so many people having to make stuff themselves on YouTube, like a people just do nothing kind of thing. Yeah, yeah. Where you get to actually see the tone and the feel of it. And Forty Towers, which you would think is a formal sitcom written by a very formal man who understands the form of things, should work off the page. But I bet you, even when you're reading those scripts back from a script book, yeah, well, you're putting now all that ballet. Yeah, I had yeah, the script book, but now when you read them now, they're just... Yeah. You can't read it without hearing the voices, yeah. can you? And yeah. seeing the moves, even, you know, just seeing the way that, that that man careers around that set. This episode ends with two proper clown custard pies. Yep. I mean, literally, I don't know where one you get One in the to... face, and I've one never in seen one in, one in the crotch. I mean, <laughs> Is that I mean the I, I don't, you haven't seen that much. You know, I've seen one in the crotch, one in the face. You're not a big custard pie fan. And cream in, in the bag. It's just... But that's, 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 that's such a circus. John Cleese that's touch, that circus. bit. Cream in the bag. But I've they're, never they're seen doing, cream in the bag before. But they're doing circus. They're doing something <laughs> that would be in Cracker Jack. Oh. Yeah. If you read that yeah. on the page and you didn't know it was going to yeah. be done, you'd go, but that's sooty would end like It's such that. nice, sort of nice <laughs> double cream, isn't it? It's there's, so, there's something really satisfying about Basil and Manuel Together. operating in yeah. concert for that. Yeah. Bit, oh, it's, it? like it's, in Tom, it's like in Tom and Jerry where you get the odd episode where Tom and Jerry were friends for a bit. It was oh, really quite nice, wasn't it? Yeah. There's moments where, you know, he kisses him on the head a lot. Also, there's another thing I've noticed in... Um, in 40 Towers, he's obsessed with Henry Kissinger. It's mentioned at least three times in three yes, episodes. You're Who right. do you expect it's coming? Henry Kissinger. He's obsessed with Henry Kissinger. I love it. You get all oh, that. He's obsessed with Henry Kissinger. Obviously, the, the thing about 40 Towers is it is the classic sitcom. It's an inevitable thing. We were inevitably going to do it on this show because it's the one that everyone. I'm inevitable. Yeah, you're, I mean, it was really delicious to just face the inevitable. But it's something that American sitcom writers always bring up on British sitcom writers, it's this, it's this monolith. Does it, is that an encouraging thing or a discouraging thing when you're trying to come up with a sitcom yourself? It's a good question because I haven't watched it for a while and while I've been re-watching it again for this and I was enjoying it so much and then about a day later I was thinking, oh, I wish I hadn't watched that again. It's so good, you know. It's so good. But it is, it's weirdly, it's just been something... The, it's the rhythm and the, and the musicality of, and the lines have always been in my head 
And I know when I write Friday night dinner, a lot of that is in my head. And yeah. There are, I'm sure there are things in there which, that's kind of forty towersy. The, that yeah. line there, or that word, I, it's quite, you know. And and the it's the melody and and also some of the plotting. I think is, I think I just subconsciously, I think I must have learnt the way to hide things so well. I mean, not that I do it so well, but how he does it. Yeah. Just hiding info because you know my show. I suppose it's it's farcical. Lots of things happen and. Uh, and things suddenly happen, and they're like little bomblets that you have to hide, and then they go off. And him and Connie do it so well. Is the is the risk, I suppose, that if something just comedy is all about surprise, and you want to surprise people, and you want uh, something to happen, a door to open, something unexpected to jump out of it. But yeah, doors you, are really weirdly they really yeah, are useful. Yeah. You know, having a door on who's yeah. there, you know. Yeah. But that needs to happen for you to to get surprise and laughter and things. But I suppose the the real risk is that the door opens, something comes out, and you go, I didn't see that coming at all. You need to see it coming a bit. Yeah, that is that's true. So yeah, that's that's a good point. So like when I'm writing, I sort of have three things in my head, which are: uh, is this funny? Um, why are people still watching? And what is the story? So at wow. all time, I just I, I also try and imagine I'm 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 watching it on the TV and what I'm feeling. I'm always thinking about what am I feeling the whole time. Yeah, I'm sure they did as well. Do what is the story? And in terms of, you know, you want people to think, oh, I know what's going to happen. It's this, even if it isn't. That's their story in their head. This is going to happen. Oh, it's going to go like this and it's going to go like that. Well, obviously, I don't want that to happen, but yeah. I want them to think this is going to happen and then freak them out or surprise them the whole time. So you're always so, putting yourself on the sofa and saying, what do I think would be happening at this point? Yeah, always that. And where do I think it could go? Because sometimes you're writing and you think, I don't know where this is going, and I don't think they'll know at all where it's going. And that's that's well, why am I watching? You know, yeah. why, am I going to keep Confusion. watching? Yeah, yeah. And you want you want a, a simple thought that you put a simple thought in the head, and you want them to think, ah, this can this is going to go this way, and then you want to wrong foot them. I think that's very much Forty Towers, very very much that. The main thing is, like, like, like they were doing, it's really the story. So I say, like, I never know what the plot's going to be, but really, all I'm doing is really working out the plot. The yeah. whole time, what is the bloody story? What is it? Oh, how can I get this thing over here? We did. I did one, um, which was called the fox, which is about. I heard someone told me the story, and I thought I'm using this. Someone, someone had a dead fox in their freezer because he was going to get it stuffed. <laughs> I thought I'm, I'm doing that. So it's all about. It's probably like my favourite one. I think. I think it's one people have liked the most. But it is a kind of Forty Towers s farce, which is the boys opening the freezer with Dad. Well, he, he won't let them go near the freezer. He, he says it, it lets flies in, etc. And they, they know something's in it and they open it and there's a frozen fox in there. And, it's, and Mum keeps needing to go. It's the outdoor freezer. And it all becomes about where to hide this fucking fox. And that sort of wrote itself, which is because, like, well, what would be with these sort of shows is like, okay, what's the worst thing to happen? Well, no, what's much worse? What, where can I take it to its absolute limit so you can hardly watch? I think that's yeah. one of those things with, with these sort of shows and sort of with my show is that. So, we're going to take the fox out of here, put it back in the garage, okay? Sorry, we can't take it out through the hall. Mum will see us. We're not taking it out through the hall, are we? What? We're taking it out through the window. Oh, are we? Oh, shit! Enjoy explaining that one to Mum. Bugger in trousers. Pass me the fox. And it's, well, where would be the worst place to go? Wouldn't it be great if somehow it ended up in someone's car and the car's gone and he's got to get to the car and how does he get out of the car? Yeah. So it's that. It's that kind of process. It's really. hard. When, when you're talking about that as a, as a process, which I think is a really successful way of, of writing, and if you look at all the great sitcoms, that, that's in common with lots of them, there's always this insistence, especially from execs and notes and things, to say, make your characters likeable. If you make characters too likeable, you won't want to watch them being tortured. True. What you want is to have someone who you empathise with a bit, but also kind of don't mind seeing 
be put through this. Well, that's the first night you always get is, is uh, well, obviously the characters need work and you, and you sort of go, OK. But half the time it's, well, when you put the actor in, one of them's tall, one of them's thin. You know, there's a lot of <laughs> yeah, that. It's yeah, like the yeah. physicality and yeah. they look, they sound different. That does, that adds a whole thing, you know, because in my show, they're brothers and early on they said, well, you need to work on the characters. You go, well, brothers, they can be quite similar. I'm quite yeah. similar to my brother. They look different and blah, 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 blah. And then after a few series, they go, oh, the characters, the work you put yeah. into the characters. I, I haven't done anything. <laughs> I just left them. <laughs> I've left them. Let, let actors find them. <laughs> the thing is, I think, I think if you're... If you are, if you have written a horrible character, but the thing is funny, that's enough. Yeah, that does it. And the, like the, the Office is very funny, even yeah. though David Brent is a is a it's monster. Horrible, yeah, you know, Basil's a monster, but Forty Towers is very funny. One Foot in the Grave is another example yeah, of, a, of a crotchety old bugger, but it's very funny. But you don't you don't fix it by either warming them up or just saying, oh, he's okay because he says he, he speaks his mind, he says what he wants to. It's a much more delicate thing than that. And but what, you root for him, you root for him. Because you're enjoying yeah. it. Yeah. And if you're enjoying the characters, you want to watch more of them. Mm. And that morality or anything, some of that is in the scripts. Some of your judgment of the person comes from the performer. One of the things that, that I think we get wrong about 40 Towers is it's regarded as this brilliant piece of writing. And Connie Booth never gets enough credit for it's being true, involved in that. It's yeah. regarded as this masterpiece of a very cerebral, very writerly man. And actually, it's not about the writing. It's about everything. And if you obsess about the script and the characters and things, what you're forgetting is that you could have miscast them. You could have had someone else in this. It wouldn't have worked. Yeah. There's a, there's a line somewhere. Do you remember where this comes from? I'm sure he says... That Are we the, playing that game now? No, but it's this phrase, and I can't remember what it is. He says, sliced hippopotamus suitcases. You heard that? <laughs> Are you playing a game with us hippopotamus again? suitcases. He says it somewhere. And it sounds like I'm saying that, playing that game, but it's actually... You're, 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 you're just, you're just no, 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 with no. our heads. Says, there's so much laughter <laughs> under it, and I swear he says that. Something, something, something. Because it's that thing where you can hardly hear it because they're yeah. laughing. And, and I hadn't thought about that. He does talk over the laughter yeah. all the time, of course. He says sliced hippopotamuses, sliced hippopotamuses suitcases. I, quite, that, I think it's in the kitchen. Does that, is that one of the reasons it's so rewatchable? Because there's no longers, there's no bits which second time You're you right, watch something. No longer, second time you watch something which you've enjoyed, sometimes you start noticing the flabby yeah, bits, sure. and very often those flabby bits will be the waiting for the audience to stop laughing bit. And because he he hasn't done that, and he's talking over it, and then there are things you'd have missed. Sliced at the bottom of his suitcases. <laughs> He you're does, constantly say. diving and he finding the no, 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 you're pranking us. Right. You're pranking, no, 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 you're I, pranking I, I, our I, audience <laughs> as well. OK, well, they can email you and tell you where it is and what episode. <laughs> I think it's in the kitchen. By the way, I love um, Terry. The, oh, uh, he's great, The chef. He? He's only in, like, two, three episodes. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, Mr. Forty. Do you know the character note that Brian... can't remember the actor's name. Brian... No, I don't know his oh, name. shameful. He was in the longer... Insert actor's name here. Brian Hall. Do you know the character note that... Brian Hall. ...said to John Cleese, John, I don't know who this guy is. Who is this guy? And John Cleese went over and basically whispered to him, he's wanted by the police. <laughs> <laughs> That's amazing. That's fantastic. He has got that vibe. Need. He's got that vibe about him. There you go. Yeah, 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 you've got he's a, always you've got a nervous rubbing shift. his hands yeah. together, looking yeah. over. I love the bit of with um, we're just talking about bits, but of the yeah. uh, stock footage, I think, of the cat um, coughing up a furball. Oh yeah, yeah. Yes. That's stock footage, isn't it? It like, really cat. is, isn't it? <laughs> after, after a while, you get obsessed by this. If you watch something too many times, you start getting obsessed by the unconvincing rat in the biscuit tin. Oh and the yeah, that, so that. You go after a while, you get it's part of the charm. Yeah, yeah like the, the one right. for me that which I got hung up on a few years ago, and I really should know better. 
Um, is looking at the front of the hotel, you've got those two bay windows. The one on the right would correspond to the one in the bar. The one on the left... <laughs> I thought about this. ...should be at the back, on the back wall of the kitchen. Yeah. Oh, I couldn't work that And it's not. Anyway, oh, actually, that's a pretty good argument for wiping this from history, isn't it? <coughs> I, I think, think so, so yeah. I I think think so. That's why I burned the, uh, the hotel down, tapes. the Woburn The master tapes. <laughs> and I think the master tapes yeah. are next. I think all three of us now, having found should break out, into the uh, BBC <laughs> vault... <laughs> And, uh, and, and, and wipe, just wipe, magnetically wipe them. As a can tribute I, to the greatness of Fortunatus. <laughs> the fact I, that they should have got the window right. Can I make a point as we come towards the end of this episode yes. of Rule of Three about the end of the series? Because for my money, I think this might be the greatest ending to a sitcom series that there is. The very, when very the, when final When the hotel shot. explodes. This is, this is series one. When the hotel one. explodes and goes it, off into One or no, two. No, oh, the very on. end of series two. Oh, is this the one where they drive the, the hotel off the cliff? Off the cliff and that's it, it. Yeah. Neil yeah. and, and that's it one. lands yeah. in the sea and the... hundreds of little basils come out <laughs> <laughs> I'd watch that is this uh, the rat because they're not allowed to get them wet um, yes the rat um, the series goes from kind of fast to actually getting a little bit deeper into the character towards the end and it's such a perfect character note the final the final beat of the final episode where basil's got away with the rat being in the biscuit tin and then he's clearly fainted and he is being dragged out mm. by Manuel in the background while Sybil in the foreground says very conversationally, I'm afraid it started to rain. Yeah, and for brilliant. me, that's, that is perfect. <laughs> I think it's absolutely perfect because it ends in character. Basil is fucking exhausted and Sybil is, as usual, keeping the wheels on the road. Yes. It's, it's perfect. beautiful. It's perfect. Like, yeah, that, that, that rat is, is funny now when you watch that rat that is clearly But you don't care. It is charming. It's quite a cute little, little thing. Yeah, yeah and I've, it turns its head really slowly, yeah. like robotically, <laughs> <laughs> I remember finding out that the BBC Special Effects Department used to, obviously, you know them for like Doctor Who and Blake sure. and things, but they spent most of their time and most of their budget on comedy shows, on Dave Allen making right. sort of, uh, putting coffins on wheels, doing the goodies and doing Basil the Rat. Most of their money and, and effort. Went on Basil the Rat. And you went- go, it's hilarious that, that that's that's the birth of animatronics. That is, that is yeah. Yeah. that's basically the wetter workshop yeah. in uh, where that's it gets started. That's what inspired Toy Story. It is. That's what. That's why we're here today. Yeah. <laughs> Well, obviously, on that beautiful note of, of celebrating one of the greatest special effects of all time. We have to <laughs> say, thank you very much, Robert Popper, for bringing in 40 Towers. Thank, thank you, Robert. Robert. What's this about, £20? No salary, would you believe it? I'll find the salary. What about this £20? He gave me £20 to keep the kitchens open and chef wouldn't. I mean, where does he put things? If you just look. I have looked. There's no, no salary, there's no rates, walnuts. That's a laugh. Easier to find a packet of sliced hippopotamus and suitcase sauce than a walnut. <laughs> <laughs> 